I love that music. <laughs> hey, y'all, how's it going? It's Chase, your friend, in your ears, and we're talking about all kinds of good stuff here on the the uh, show, the Chase Jarvis Live Show on Creative Live. Very happy to be with you today. Um, you know this show. This is where I sit down with awesome humans, the best entrepreneurs, creators, thought leaders, and I unpack their brains. And today's show is a whopper because my guest is Brene Brown. And right now, if you know Brene, you're going like, oh my God, I can't believe it. She's on again. This is awesome. And if you don't know Brene, you are in for a treat. I love her. She has, I think she holds the record for the most guest appearances on the show. But here's here's the thing. The thing that I'm playing today, the show, is one that has never been out there on the podcast before. It was on, I have it on a YouTube video from a couple years ago, and it is extremely popular. And I just found it too valuable to not have a part of the podcast. It is a whopper. There's so many aha moments in this talk, and we waste basically zero time getting into it. She talks about how, as a culture, we're raised to believe that vulnerability is weakness. And I think it's a little bit of a, to say trendy word might be an overstatement, but it's the vernacular has made its way into popular culture, which is a good thing. But I think there's a lot of, um, it still feels superficial relative to the way Brene talks about it. She shares something that for me has stuck for like since the moment she shared this as a creative and, and her opinion really, really matters to me. She pulls out a list of things from her wallet and reads it to me while we're on there. And it's a very, it's a, it's a list. I don't think she shared actually. Yeah. With anybody publicly. So it's this, it's a list of humans and uh, there's a little secret behind that. So I can't wait for you to hear that part of the show. And we also talk about how to heal when someone gets your ass kicked. And we know that happens. We've all had it when you're down, when you've just sort of suffered a defeat or you put something out there, you thought it was going to go big and crickets or You've just got a bad talk track going on in your head. We talk about support structures, not just a therapist or coach, but things that you can do without another human and all things in that genre. It's really, really valuable. And again, I'm I'm, sh- I'm sharing this on the podcast because it was one of my favorite episodes of all time before we turned this into an audio show. Um, so I'm bringing it back. And also, I've Brene has told me that this is one of her favorite interviews of her of all time. She puts it on her website above, above a bunch of the shows that she's had with Oprah. So I consider that a win because Oprah is incredible. Um, but you know who really delivers here is Brene. So with that, I'm going to get out of the way and let the show speak for itself. But before we do it, just a super quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be 
the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own. And on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, Internet. Hello. Wow. That's loud. Hi, Internet. I'm Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of Chase Jarvis Live. Once a month, I try and sit down with someone who has completely blown my mind, someone who's a huge inspiration, has helped me personally transform, and I have a very strong hunch that they'll be able to help you out there in the Internet world and you folks in the in-studio audience transform your lives as well. This person is no uh, exception to that. They're at the top of that list. Today's guest... She gave this amazing TED Talk. I think it's one of the most seen TED Talks of all times, about 12 million views the last time I checked, which was a while ago. I've watched the thing at least 10 times myself. And that, I think she had that epiphany, what she called, she told me earlier, it was sort of like a, a, a breakdown afterwards. She gave this amazing talk and she said, what in the hell did I just do? Ironically, that thing was the catapult for her that transformed her career, put her on the New York Times bestseller list with her book most recently, Daring Greatly. Big, warm CJ Live welcome for Miss Brene Brown. We love you. Thank you so much. You're comfortable. Welcome. It's that good, right? It's that good. They love you that much. It's not the Rolling Stones, it's Brene Brown. I'm no Oprah, but I'm going to do my best. I know you guys are tight friends, and I've seen you on her couch a lot. I'm, maybe you can compare notes afterwards. Let me, know, <laughs> let me know what I can do better. But this ain't about me. It's about you. And this. You have more drinks, for sure. I do. I'm a th three <laughs> beverage minimum here. This is your book. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell me. Well, actually, I want to go back to I the, love uh, that book, is, actually. You, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I love it, too. Actually, I have it on my iPad here as well. I might pull up a couple of uh, sections that I highlight, and you can tell me if I'm interpreting them right. But what was the impetus? Go ahead and give us the backstory, please. You know, I love that book because, you know, it, it's probably to date the thing that, you know, the book that has all of my research in it. Um, and I like it because, well, I like it and I hate it. Um, <laughs> like, I really should have called it Daring Damn It. Um, I really like it because it reminds me, because it's not like I, I'm not like a guru or a, it's like, like, oh, I've had these thoughts and here's how I think we should all live. It's that I went out and researched and found out that I was not doing the things that I, that your research that re the, the research participants like really changed my life. And so I love that book because it's a constant reminder to me about why it's hard sometimes when you put yourself out there. Of so, course it's hard. Yeah. And so I love it because it, I love it. It pisses me off. I love it. it <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a good reminder. Sort of like life, right? Kind of like life. Yeah. Like, like, like those of us that are And everybody creative. you know in yeah. life. These people have come from far and wide. We've had people come from out of state, travel far to be able to sit here with you. To, to understand the idea of vulnerability, to me as a type A 
like male, it was real hard. It's real hard. It was a, there was a lot of resistance. Like I, I don't eat no stinking during Greatly Book. <laughs> but then inside of your head, there's like, there's that, that voice. So I imagine that it's not just type A males that have that voice, that we all have that voice. What is the voice and what is Daring Greatly, how, do, how, do, how does Daring Greatly help us work through that voice? Yeah, I had a, I had a new thought about that a couple of weeks ago. I think it's it, it type A males for sure, but I think it's really all of us. I think the majority of us were raised with the belief that vulnerability is weakness, um, that it's best to armor up when we wake up in the morning, go out into the world, don't put yourself out there, don't let yourself get hurt, um, really stay closed um, because it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the criticism. It's not worth, you know, we have this program called The Daring Way where we train coaches and therapists in our work. And one of the exercises we do is we put up this big poster that says, vulnerability is. And then participants fill out a post-it note about how they would finish that sentence stem. Vulnerability is. And then we all look at that. And so there's tons of them that'll say vulnerability is weakness. Vulnerability is showing too much of yourself. But one of them just struck me the other day and it said, vulnerability is the first step to betrayal. And so it's showing enough of yourself that someone could use it to hurt you. So we all grew up with this myth that vulnerability is weakness. But what's interesting to me and what I think is the source of a lot of the problems today is we were also mostly raised to believe that it was important to be brave. For sure. So here you've got this thing where vulnerability is weakness, but you need to be brave and courageous. So really the only thing that can fit through that gauntlet of you can't be vulnerable, but you need to be brave is bravado. Is that kind of blustery, um, posturing kind of fake bravery. And I think that's what we see in the world today. Um, I think what we see, and I'm not talking about badassery, like the good stuff that you can back it up. I'm talking about if I can't be vulnerable, but I have to be brave, what's left except to fake being tough? And I think the way we fake being tough in our culture today is we're super cynical, we're super critical of other people who are putting themselves out there. We make fun of things. That's how we fake bravery. But the truth is, if you, you know, when we asked people in the research, what is vulnerability? They said things like, I mean, I remember sitting across from one, someone who said, it's sitting down with my wife who has stage four breast cancer and making plans for our young kids. Wow. It's calling hospice and having a conversation with them about my dad. It's the very first date I went on after my divorce. It's trying to get pregnant after my second miscarriage. Vulnerability is never easy and it feels terrible, but there's no evidence that it's anything but courage. I mean, the best example, I think, and something that I think everyone in here and everyone watching can relate to, is picking up the phone and making that call after something horrible happens to someone we care about. Right? And we look at the phone and we're like, I really need to call. I can't believe her husband dropped dead. He was 45. I just, you know what? I'm going to call in an hour. She's probably resting. And then an hour goes by. And then you're like, you know what? She's probably got family over for dinner. I'll call tomorrow. And we just keep Are sur- you in my brain right now? Yeah, yeah right now. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's human nature. And then, but the question is, what happens when an hour turns to a week, turns to a month? And then we run into that person at the grocery store and we haven't called. Like, what does that feel like for us? 
feels, it's shame. Yeah, it feels shameful. It's shame. It's shaming. But what happens when we just pick up the phone and go, oh, shit. There's nothing I can say to make this better except I love you, I care about you, and I'll walk through this with you. And then when we hang up from that call, we know we didn't fix anything because there's nothing fixable about that situation. But we feel in line with our values. We feel like I did the courageous right thing. Authentic self. The authentic self. Yeah. And it's not about how this makes me feel, it's about making the call. So to me, I think the most profoundly dangerous myth is the idea that vulnerability is weakness. I just, there's no evidence. Well, the, the audience that's here in the in-studio um, and primarily the audience that's, that's online, uh, we've got people tuning in from 100 countries worldwide right now. They are largely creatives because that's the audience yeah. that we've sort of built this show around. And I, one of the reasons I was really excited to have you on the show is because I personally, my personal experience has been that the best stuff that I've ever done, like the best art, the best creativity, has always come when I'm the most scared, the mo like I can't believe I'm gonna hit send on this, or I can't believe I'm gonna publish this book, or the, and there's, there's a, just a, a huge preponderance of, of evidence that the, the best work that we do is that work, and everything else is sort of, it's flimsy, and, and we see the, the best art, I mean, Macklemore is a, a friend, he's performed right here in this, in this studio, and to watch that guy lay it out there, I mean, can you imagine a hip-hop artist talking about gay marriage, talking about having a, um, addiction issues, and, and he's the number one artist in the country right now. That's very different than hip-hop. And that my, my experience, a lot of the folks that I revere their experience, it, can you confirm that, like, how, do you, how can you tie vulnerability and creativity together for us? Because that's who's listening today. Yeah, so first I want to say, I'm a huge Macklemore fan. <laughs> what, ben. what? Okay. Uh, huge. Um, for that, uh, yeah, I took my kids and like 40 of them, I think, to a concert in Houston. Um, uh, ben and Ryan are amazing. Yeah, and I think they were kept, my, my kids, kids were like, chill. I'm like, yeah, and my kids were like, be in the parents section. Um, for the reason that, here's, here's why I think Macklemore is, he's, he's they're, they're both, Ryan and Macklemore are very talented people, first and foremost. Secondly, the truth is, we are so sick and tired of being afraid. Yeah. You know, we live in this culture of deep scarcity. And, you know, and I don't talk about this a lot because it, it riles up people in this country, but 9-11 was, was a huge changing point for us. For sure. I Wait had started my, my research, very obviously coincidentally, six months before 9-11. So because I'm a qualitative researcher, kind of on the ground, looking in people's eyes, interviewing people about their lived experiences, I have seen firsthand how that has changed us. Um, it has driven this amazing, just all-consuming culture of scarcity, of fear. We're not safe enough, we're not rich enough, we're not perfect enough, we're not certain enough. Um, and you can always tell when we're in a scarcity culture because the two headlines that drive everything from the news to our conversations at dinner are what are we supposed to be afraid of and whose fault is it? That's the big conversation. Okay, what's, what should I be most afraid of today? I hate admitting that, but that's true. Like, and that's whose where fault is it? Almost all the conversations go to that. It's it. I mean, if you turn on any cable news, 
they are going to increase their audience ratings by making sure they're telling you what you need to be terrified about and whose fault it is. Yeah, That's I, how it works. I, I saw a, a news bit about shark attacks and how they're up. More shark attacks now than ever before. I also heard that more people die from vending machines falling on them than shark right. attacks. Right. So, like, like, literally, that's the math. And to me, that's that's that fear mongering. That how can we have how can we have a society that's driven in culture and and the beautiful things in life when we've got this sort of black cloud that's being projected above us. The hard thing about it is, and the way the where it gets uncomfortable for everybody here and watching is that we have to own that because media will only elevate and rise to the level that we'll accept it. So when the public sees someone doing something different, they're going to switch it to the channel where they're like, here's what you need to be afraid of. And so we tolerate it. We ask for it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. They're completely metrics and rating driven. Yep. So people are watching for that reason. And so to me, when someone like Macklemore or someone like yourself or anyone who is out there putting it out there we're fans because we are sick and tired of being afraid. We want to see someone doing something ballsy. We want to believe that can happen. Do you want me, should I flip over the table now and just rah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? And that's a great that's a great example because that's what we're used to. That's what usually passes for brave is like you know that Bravado. kind of stuff. But what we want to see is someone singing same love in a genre that uses you know hateful terms like faggot and queer every five minutes that's what's brave what we want to see is we want to turn on the television and see someone owning a story that's really hard to own we want to see a corporation taking responsibility for making a mistake that's that's what we want to see and and for all you folks out there who are art makers or makers or creators or like that if, if I was to say something that has unlocked things for me, it's literally, it's going there. And it's, if it's uncomfortable, that means, usually, it means it's the right thing for me. And I think that sucks. It does suck. I mean, we were, I mean, I, I do. I mean, I, I mean I, we were talking, you and me yeah. and Kate, your wife, were talking before. And I was like, it's a terrible thing when you realize that. It, it gives you courage in uncomfortable moments. But when I'm doing something that's easy, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. This yeah. is not going to be a big thing. This is not yeah. going to be important because I'm, you know, and I don't think we have to look for discomfort. Sure. There's but plenty I, of it out there. Right. There's plenty of it that comes, you know, every time you answer the phone, there's something usually, you know. But I do think for those of you who blog or write, when you hit post on that thing that you're really scared about writing, that's when you're like, oh, that was important. I'm glad I did it. When you put the picture out, you know, and creatives, it's interesting to me because there is no creativity without vulnerability. That might get retweeted a couple million times. I'm just guessing. But I mean, there isn't. <laughs> there is so true. There isn't. Um, which is why, I mean, I think this is really important. You know, after the TED Talk, I regret, I didn't regret it, but I was afraid. I, I, yeah, I, regret, I regretted it. I was like, gosh, I don't think I should have done that. You know, it went viral. And then the whole story behind the Daring Greatly quote is so, it's such an important to me 
non-discussed issue for creatives, which is we're going to go there right now. Okay. So okay. I want. Okay. Can you do the quote? Because I, I yeah 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 yeah. I can do the quote for sure. Okay. This this is an amazing quote, and I have personally used it. It's, and it's an incredibly effective uh, it defense mechanism, and, and helps me emotionally. And it's a great visual. In fact, the daring way that the certification program we have is built completely around this quote and all the imagery around it. We use arenas and shields. So so the quote is it's Theodore Roosevelt and. I'm going to make it a little shorter, but it's, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly but comes up short again and again, who in the end may know the triumph of high achievement, but when he fails, he does so daring greatly. Damn. Yeah, it's just great. It's just, wow. it's just, it's just, it's, and I, I loved it because the three things I say it changed about me were one, it informed the book and the book title and use, I use that, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words, then a metaphor's worth like, like a thousand pictures, you know. Um, <laughs> So, and we I'm love metaphors, it's how we think, <laughs> you know, that's why we, we grab onto them. But, you know, the first thing I think it changed in me was this is, this is how I'm going to talk about vulnerability. It's not winning or losing, it's having the guts to show up and be seen when there are no predictions of outcome. You know, that's, and I think the thing that it really dismantled for me was another myth that I, you know, fifth generation Texan, vulnerability was not tolerated in my family <laughs> at all growing up. I mean, it was... It was... Buck up, little camper. Buck up. Yeah. Suck it up, soldier on. You need to learn how to ride your bike. There'll be no training wheels. What, are you going to be 30 with training wheels? We don't need training wheels. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the thing. You're going to learn how to swim. You don't need goggles. Like, what are you going to get in the middle of the Atlantic, Just... a mile from shore, and you're going to have all, you're gonna need goggles? I'm like, I'm three. If I'm a mile from shore in the Atlantic... It's over, yeah. you know, goggles or no goggles. But that's just the way we were raised. And, you know, I look back and there are some things I would do different that I'm doing differently with my own kids and my parents did. And some kids, some things that I pray to God every day I do as well. Um, they did not, they were not squeamish about us experiencing adversity. You know, if we had something go on, they were like, we're here, we'll back you up, but you got to take it on. Sis, that was my nickname, Sissy. You got to take it on, Sissy. Um, yeah, yeah, and so I think that gave me the persistence to have the career I have and the tenacity. Sure. Um, but the one myth that I think I was raised that was really dangerous was this idea that you're either brave or you're afraid. And the truth is, most of us are brave and afraid in the exact same moment all day long. That's brilliant. And you don't, we don't, you know, I'm, I'm afraid right now. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but I just keep showing up. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. So too. I'm being brave too. Yeah. Um, so that was the first thing. This is how I'm going to talk about vulnerability. The second thing was basically if you're going to live in the arena, you're going to get your ass kicked. It's what you sign up for when you decide to be brave, which is just hard. But, you know, for me personally, my faith is the organizing principle in my life. And I think it calls on me to be courageous as part of my faith. So if I'm going to be 
a faithful, courageous person, I'm signing up for some butt kicking. <laughs> you know, That's so if true. I, I mean, it's true. Like, for example, one of the things I'm really working on during Lent is gossip. <laughs> yeah, hard. And so one of the things I do is like, now no one in my kid's school ever calls me or tells me anything. <laughs> Because, you know, they're like, why? You don't, you know, and it's not that I get judged. I'm like, oh, you should be gossiping. I'm just like, I just try to redirect and get out of it. Uh, which is really hard because I love gossip. I love some good <laughs> judgy stuff. Um, uh, so, but I've been criticized. They're yeah. like, you know, I feel a little bit outgrouped sometimes because what do people do when they don't know each other very well to bond? Yeah. Talk bad about talk somebody some else. Shit, right, yeah. talk some shit. The last thing is the part where I think creatives really, we need to have this conversation more and more. And I consider myself a creative. I'm a writer. Absolutely. And the way, and I'm a grounded theory researcher, which is like very creative based research, um, is this. If you are not in the arena also getting your ass kicked on a regular basis, I am not open or interested in your feedback. Boom. Spoken. No, it's. it's and, and here's why, and this is the part that I think people underestimate. People, you know, if you're in the arena and you email me or say something to me at an event and you say, look, I'm really questioning your research because you forgot the entire, you know, academic literature on intimacy and you should be thinking about that, that's I'm feedback. I'm not going to say that to you ever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if Sorry, you say, continue. Yeah, but if you say that, then I'm going to say, wow, okay, I, wish I should look into that. That's feedback. If you're sitting in the cheap seats doing nothing. These seats are very expensive, by yeah, the way. These are the, no, these are, these are like the be seen on TV, yeah. like on Chase Jarvis thing, seats. No, but if you're in the cheap seats, not contributing, not putting yourself out there, not risking anything, and just criticizing, I can't be open to your feedback for this reason. And this is something that creatives, I don't think, fully get. It hurts. And it changes who we are. That whole, when I hear people say, and it's often creatives and leaders and organizations who I hear, look, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. That is its own kind of hustle. For sure. I, I may or may not have used that at one time. Uh, I for sure did. <laughs> right. I mean, right. but here, it's a tight wire. Here's, what, here's, the, here's the dilemma with that. When you don't care at all what anyone thinks, you lose your capacity for connection. When you are defined by what people think, you lose the courage to be vulnerable. This is really hurting my brain right now. This is powerful. <laughs> Seriously, so like, can we, can we replay that one more time? So yeah. if, go ahead, I'll, I'll let you do it, because that was too good. So when you stop caring what anyone thinks at all, when we don't care at all what people think, we lose our capacity for connection. Got it. Which what is art if it's not connection and love, right? Yep. So when we stop caring at all what people think, we lose our ability to connect. When we're defined by what people think, we lose the courage to be vulnerable. So what is so important, I think, for all of us, and not just creatives, but all of us, I wish I had my wallet. Um, it's somewhere in here, but <laughs> I would pull it out and show you. 
Um, so what I do, what I recommend to people is can we, get, can we get Brene's bag? I think somebody probably knows where it is. I think it is. it's, yeah, it's under my empty kombucha Christ, bottle. <laughs> Chris, Christy knows where it is. Uh, we, I, we can, I, we, I hope it's in here, yeah. We, yeah, we can this make this like happen. Props. How about it, right? I like it. Um, Everybody, so, this is Jeff. Give Jeff a round of applause. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. All right. This right. is what long form does for you, right? This is I, I love couch. long form. It's comfortable. So she's like, otherwise you're like, say something tweetable and smile, and then it's over. <laughs> and it's, yeah, that's, time's that's up. a wrap. On to the next one. Um, let's see if it's in here. I'll be embarrassed. It may not be, but oh, it is. Oh, <laughs> it's like so, that box in Pulp Fiction. I want to know what's in there now. Okay, so this is what. So so the question becomes the dilemma: if we we have to care what people think, but we can't be defined by what people think. So what what's the solution? My, my answer is that you get a very small piece of paper. I suggest one inch by one inch. And that, I mean, that's small, right? How small is that? Like that? That's, yep. Yeah, it's small. And on that piece of paper, you put the names of people whose opinions actually matter to you. Wow. And, that, and, that's, and so I carry my list with me. I have a little, a little I do. I carry it in my wallet. Um, and on it are the people whose opinions of me really, really matter. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight names on my little piece of paper. Don't zoom in because the people who aren't on my paper won't, <laughs> won't be appreciative. Um, and I'll tell you why it's really helpful. It's helpful because we have a tendency to, so, so when I'm walking my tightrope of, I do care what people think, but I don't want to be defined by it. So there are people whose opinions of me matter. For sure. So these the people on my list, and the people who I think should be on everyone's list, are the people who love you not despite your vulnerability and imperfections, but because of your vulnerability and imperfections. So when I'm on some tangent trying to hack into the back of Amazon to figure out who left the mean comment <laughs> so I can put a hit out on their on them, send yeah. A, send one of Jeff Bezos' drones. Yeah, house, right? <laughs> yeah. No, nothing. I wouldn't do anything violent, but like drop a book on their head or something. But um, what I try to remember is they're not on my list. Like, what? What am I doing? So if I look, like you know, I get very nervous about things that are on camera because I don't like it. Like, there's no cameras here. <laughs> um, no, I get really nervous because then it's all of a sudden I'm outside of my comfort zone. It's hair and makeup. Who? Where's Christy. The, Christy? Yeah, where are you, Christy? There she I'm is. Taking you everywhere I go for the rest <laughs> of my life. Um, she was amazing, but a lot of times, like, I just had hair and makeup done for something, and this is how it started. Oh, you have a Leavens. Um, have you thought about Botox? And I'm like, I have actually thought about it, but you know, and, and you know, and if you you what these you you've got marionette lines, like for the first time, I, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my god, I wish I didn't know that name because now when I you know like this, like, and we could fill those. And, what are you filling um, with, like wood putty? I mean, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Oh. And I don't mind. I mean, and that's in people to each their own, but I so I get really insecure about that stuff. You look great. Well, thank you. But in the end, what I do is. I'll come home and see was like, oh man, you look gorgeous. And I'll be like, oh, whatever. <laughs> you love me, you don't count. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Right, so what, have a, what most of us have a tendency to do is steamroll over the people 
whose opinion should matter to get acceptance and approval by the people who really should not matter at all. Wow. And I think creatives are notorious at doing that because it's really not. You're not making it for somebody out there. You're not making it for someone out there. You're making it for someone in here and someone who's very close to you. I feel like that's. that's so I'm going to tell you something. I've never said this anywhere in public. I'm going to say this. Seatbelts on. So this was my first book, and I wish I could rewrite this book. I think this book has more information about shame. This is a shame. This is the shame book. Then hold it up so we can. Oh, see this that is the shame book. This is like if you want to know about shame, every there's like thousand stories in here from the research. It's all women in shame. It's great. When I wrote, yeah, it's great. But it, you know, I'm a shame researcher. I, I like different things than y'all. But, um, but you know what? When I wrote this book, I pictured over my head the critics. So the mobile that was over my head when I was writing this were my academic peers, um, the researchers, the academic journal publishers. And I think I could have made this book easier to read. And I think one of the reasons it hasn't resonated as much, I mean, people like the book and I'm proud of the book, but I think one of the reasons is it's got some academic language in it because what I tried to do is get my, you know, I use my sisters and my mom as examples, like we're all big readers. My mom sends us self-help books as subtle messages. Um, <laughs> but like would my mom and my sisters buy this at the, at the bookstore? Yeah, I think they, will. I think they would, but I, but I want the academics to do it too. So like when we say in Texas, there's only thing in the middle of the road, dead armadillos and lines. Um, then this book, <laughs> yeah, and this book like failed greatly and then came back with paper, it was a long story. Then this book. We're gonna make it unfail right now. This is Yeah, because I, mean, I mean, I will tell you this, this is, the do- this is the deep drop into the deep, dark, swift waters of shame for women. Uh, this, but, but this book gave me the courage personally and the self to, to do my, to have my career. Had I not gone through what was in that book, I wouldn't have this career. This made me hammer down on those gremlins for sure. These books I wrote with my friends in mind. That was the mobile over my head when I was writing. I don't care about the critics for these books. These books I want my friends to read it and say, the people on my list, she, she left it all in, out there. She did it, and she was honest, and we know her, and this is who she is. And so, because I have big academic shame gremlins, it's really tough. It's a sophisticated group, and they're judging, and they have... Well, I will tell you a great story. I thought it was just me, was I I could wallpaper this room in rejection letters. People don't, people make up the greatest stories about me, like, I'm the child of academics, and I was an... I mean, I graduated from college when I was 30. I was on the 12-year plan. <laughs> I was, seriously. I was on the five, so. 12, yeah, like five, 12, yeah. And, I, 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 and, and a year of it, I was hitchhiking through Europe. Um, and, and not in like the academic youth hostel way either, in the woohoo! Um, but so, so no one was interested in this book at all. And I mean, I'm not kidding, thou- I mean, not a thousand, probably at least 150 rejection letters. I couldn't even get an agent. And they were like four letters. Dear Dr. Blank, as sexy as a book on shame sounds. <laughs> yeah. So I self-published it. Good for you. Yeah, it was great. Except that was before self-publishing was cool. <laughs> right. Um, hey. And so one of my peers, academic peers, was like, oh, I read that book that you wrote on shame, and it's great. I'm going to include it in my syllabus this fall. I was like, thanks. 
Then two weeks later, he goes, okay, did you self-publish that? And I said, I did. And he said, we're taking it off the syllabus. We don't do vanity publishing in my classroom. What? Wait. You need me to kick this guy's ass? Yes. <laughs> um, wait, then it gets better. This is great. But then, so it fails. It does horrible. I go through my shame shit storm, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was bad. This is creativity at work right here. No, it, it was really you, you bad. You write a book, you put it out there, I, like, you take yeah. a picture, you put yeah, it out Yeah, yeah. It's, hor it's horrible. And then... Someone got, you know, then I met somebody at a party who knew someone, then a couple of people were interested in the book. They, a couple of publishers bid for the book. They gave me an advance. It was like, I, I mean, academic advance is like kind of hard of. And they published the book. Nice, nice, yes, nice dinner, nice dinner yeah. <laughs> so then I go into a faculty room, a faculty meeting, and the same guy was like, oh my God, I heard you got uh, like a trade, not just like an academic publisher, but a real publisher. I was like, I did, and he goes, you are like, you're like the people who did El Mariachi, that movie on their credit card. You're like an indie. I'm like, a what? And it's like, <laughs> you're like an indie, like an independent. And I'm like, really? Because two weeks ago, it was a vanity publishing book. Yeah, and now I'm a renegade. Now I'm yeah. a renegade. And he's like, I'll put it back. I'm like, you're not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't recommend that. That was just, that was shitty, but I. <laughs> If that was not wholehearted, but <laughs> I'm not all the time wholehearted, just to break, yeah, just, yeah. And then he is like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't want you teaching my content. Yeah. You clearly don't get it. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. I know that the world, like, I'm, I'm, tweets are coming in like mad questions, and I know the in-studio audience has some questions. Yeah. They told me before we went live here, so I would love to hear from a couple of folks in the audience. You have... Dr. Brene Brown sitting in front of you. This is in a therapy session, but I want you to come clean. <laughs> Give me something. Please, put your hand in the air if you're gonna, yes, right here in the front. We'll bring a microphone your way. Say who you are, and it's you and Brene. Hi. Hi, Brene, I'm Erica. Nice Hi, to nice meet you. you. Is this on? Yeah. This is on, yeah. So, <laughs> I get the whole vulnerable thing in the personal life with family and friends, but as a business owner and a woman, um, I'm having trouble transferring that over to that. So I'm wondering how you made that connection and made that leap, and if it was a struggle for you as well. It's a great question. Um, Thank you, Erica. So what was interesting about your question is after the TED Talk went viral, the majority of calls I got were from organizations, like big Fortune 500 companies saying, we saw your TED Talk, we really want you to come in and talk to our leaders, or, you know. And I said, okay, what do you want me to talk about? And they'd say, anything but shame and vulnerability. <laughs> so, well, that's what the TED Talk was on. They're like, no, we can't, we can't do that. We don't do that. Women leaders and women business owners were far more resistant than male. A hundred percent. One of the most vivid experiences I have, remember memories I have of an experience that I had, was that I was getting ready to do the opening keynote for a large, large, large corporation who had a female CEO. I was standing right behind her. She had no idea who I was. And she said to the person putting on the event, let me get this straight. The opening keynote is a woman talking about weakness. How the, did that happen? Yeah. And I was mm. like, oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. And the person talking to her obviously could see me. And she was like, <laughs> yeah. And, like, right, yeah. And the woman turned around and I was like, Hi, I'm Brene, and <laughs> you know, what do you say? You know, and so I was like, you know what, are you gonna be here for the keynote? And she goes, I wasn't planning on it. I said, 
it would be really, I think it would be very helpful and essential for you to be here. Why am I talking to the people who work under you if this is your perception of my work and you're not even going to hear it? Bam. So yeah, so she said, yeah, so she said, I will definitely stay. She sat in the front row and cried through the whole entire thing. <laughs> and, yeah, and she was just like, afterwards she came up and she said, Yeah, I get like really weepy thinking about it as a woman too and as a strong woman and as a business owner for myself too. She said, I thought I was successful because I wasn't vulnerable. And now what I'm realizing is that I was successful because I'm smart and I'm good at what I do. I am stuck here and with this company because I'm, I'm unwilling to be vulnerable. I cannot go any further. And so I think what the issue is around work is that, you know, everything that we want more of at work, trust, engagement, accountability, adaptability to change, innovation, creativity, every single one of those is born of vulnerability. And the problem is that we need to rethink and redefine how, what we mean when we say vulnerable. What does that mean? Does that mean like, like I was just reading an HBR or, or it was either an HBR or it was Harvard Business Review or um, Fast Company. I was on a plane last week um, reading something that had something about vulnerability is okay at work. And it had a picture of a guy in a suit with a big, big teardrop coming down his cheek. Like, um, what I mean by vulnerability is I mean to show up, you know, the, the definition of vulnerability, let's just use that from the data, is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. How can you be a good leader who's not willing to walk into uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure? What is the difference, I think, between a, what I would call an armored leader and a vulnerable present leader is the ability to say, yeah, this is scary. We don't know how this is going to turn out. But I have confidence in us, and I think we can take it on. And if we fail, we will we fail will, by daring greatly. We'll fail by daring greatly. And then we'll clean that shit up, and we'll learn from it, and we'll embed the learning into our culture. It was, I actually, where I was coming back reading from that article, is I was coming back from Facebook. So I did a talk. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's, this, it's a really <laughs> sweet little organization. Um, <laughs> Yay, big! Um, but I was, I, it was almost like being John Malkovich when I was there because they had converted the bottom um, of this corridor of this hotel to like what, the, what their headquarters looks like. And the whole theme was dare. And so at their headquarters, they have these posters, every, all these dare quotes, um, you know, fortune favors the bold, be brave, screw up, you know, everywhere. And so it was like someone was in my brain. Um, <laughs> but what I realized is that Here's the problem, I think, with vulnerability at work. In you, vulnerability is courage. In me, it's weakness. It's the first thing I look for in you as someone who works for me and the last thing I want to show you as a leader. But show me, show me a, and, and here's the other thing, the myth that I really want to deconstruct. And I've not, I have never had the chance. I like the long format. The long format. Just, just, I'm just like, I'm, I'm on for the ride, right? This yeah, is amazing. I mean, it's just good. I love it. Is what I hear people say is, yes, you can be vulnerable at work, but not too vulnerable. 
That's like saying you can be healthy, but not too healthy. Like you can't really be too healthy. When people say too vulnerable, what they mean is there's boundary issues. But there's a very simple equation, which is vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability at all. There's no such thing. It's, it's like, so yeah. one of the things that is why I think of myself as a creative, as a researcher too, is I'm a grounded theory researcher, meaning I start with no theory. I build a theory through long interviews, people's lived experiences. And then the hardest thing for a grounded theory researcher, the hardest challenge for me, is we have to come up with words that explain what we're finding in a way that'll capture the minds and hearts of the people reading the research. So the term, so people ask, why do you think your TED Talk was successful? And for me, or why do you think your work is successful? It's as easy as I've named something we all experience, I've given it words, and I let people know they're not alone. What does art do? It captures what we all experience and lets people know they're not alone. Exactly, a great a song photograph. does, a great photograph, yeah. a great film, absolutely. Right. So that's why I'm really sticky about words. It's not like an academic pet peeve, but when people say, so for when people say we need more shame in the world, people are so horrible to each other, people are mean-spirited, we need, you know, you hurt somebody, you should feel shame. No, 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 you should feel guilt, you should feel more empathy, but not shame. Can I try and pass yeah. a test? So I've read the book several times, Guilt, yeah, check, but guilt is like, I did a bad thing. Right. Shame is, I'm a bad person. Right. And there's a strong difference between Huge those. Huge difference. Huge difference. Guilt is, shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, uh, violence, bullying, eating disorders. And that's important to understand, but what's even more important than understanding that is that guilt is inversely correlated with those outcomes. Meaning if you're someone, so what we do is we can measure whether you're more guilt prone or more shame prone by the way you talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. So if I knock this glass over and I thought, nope. <laughs> so if your self, perfect, if your self talk was, God, I'm so stupid, God, I'm so stupid. I'm on television, I'm so stupid. That shame self talk. If, on the other hand, your, your thought process was, God, that wasn't smart to leave the glass on the edge while we're on camera. I poured it on my shoe, actually. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth the prop, right? right it's right. totally worth the prop. Um, so if you spill it over and your thought was, boy, that wasn't smart to put that on the edge, the focus is not on self, it's on behavior. Got it. Huge difference. I mean, yeah. we find that people who use a lot of guilt self-talk, who separate who they are from those, those choices, I'm not stupid, I did a stupid thing. I'm not an idiot, that was just not a good choice. Have lower rates of addiction, less likely to end up with the outcomes that we see with shame. So to me, it's really important when people say, hey, we need more shame, I'm like, I'm calling bullshit on that. Why, what, what, you know, why is it that we need more shame? When we know, not just me, other researchers, 50 years of data, we know shame is highly correlated with violence, depression, all these horrible outcomes. So let's get the words right. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we have an obesity problem. We don't need more starvation, right? That's not the, why? Because it's not the right word. So we don't have an overly vulnerable problem because vulnerability without boundaries is not vulnerability. We may have a disclosure issue. We may have an oversharing issue. 
we may not understand our roles and our boundaries. If I'm sitting in front of a group of venture capitalists, it's not my job, and you're my partner okay. in this business, it's not my job in front of the VCs and all of our employees to come up and say, um, I'm in over my head, I'm not sure what's happening, and I'm pretty sure it's all gonna go to shit in the next two weeks. <laughs> it's not appropriate. I have a really, I have a really miss, I'm misunderstanding my role. There are people who have left jobs here. Um, it is my role, however, to do that with someone. I would not want to be led or be invested with someone who's not having that conversation somewhere with their therapist, maybe with their, you know, with their partner for me to say, listen, we have this meeting tomorrow with the VCs and our, you know, everybody, but here's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling in over my head. I'm feeling like this whole thing can go down in two weeks. Vulnerability requires an understanding of boundaries, where we share, with whom we share, and why we're sharing. But I will go back to the VC thing, which is interesting. I interviewed a VC who happened to be sitting next to me on a plane back from San Francisco a couple of- Did you just throw him right in this book? Oh, you're sitting next to me? Turn on the mic and just interview him? Or well, no, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't well, what's well, here's what's interesting. Grounded theory, we don't record our interviews. Oh. Because we, have a, we believe that when people are recorded, they give what we call proper line data. They sure. say what they think they're supposed to say. Yep. So we were talking about failure and vulnerability. And he said, here's the thing with me and my partners. If you haven't failed at least twice at a million dollars each fail, we don't give you any money. Wow. And I was like, can you afford that? <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, that was a legitimate question, right? And he said, we can't afford not to because we can't afford to give money to people who don't know, have the skill set to get out from underneath failure. Brilliant. You know, and that's vulnerability. That is, you know, and another good question I get asked all the time by entrepreneurs is, isn't the entrepreneurial axiom, failure is not an option? Isn't that what entrepreneurs say? Failure is not an option. And I said, no, let's, let's, just, let's walk through it. I've got a business and I'm an entrepreneur and things are not going well. I'm bleeding money, lots of turnover. It's not working out. It's the entrepreneur who can say, holy crap, failure is an absolute option. It, it actually feels like an, in, in, I mean, it, it's right there. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? Imminent. Imminent, yes. It's I kept saying intimate, <laughs> uh, but it's not an intimate option. It's, it's an imminent option. option. Um, it's that person who says, oh God, failure is absolutely an option right now. I need to turn this stuff around. Usually we don't see people starting to make more uncomfortable choices, changing things, unless they recognize, oh, failure is absolutely going, an option. Because yeah. otherwise what you do when you don't really believe that failure is an option is you just start grinding harder on the exact same stuff you're doing. Yeah, right? That, yeah, that doesn't work. Same input, expecting a different, different output. Outcome. I think that's called crazy. Crazy, yeah. yeah. I would like to go to the, what I call the phones right now, this big yeah. phone here. That's like Hello. old school. And Bleeds Inc. wants to know, how do you deal with super sweet but passive aggressive remarks from others? Hmm. Oh my God. I have a southern friend, enough said, is the parenthesis. A southern friend? Southern friend, that's what this person, that's yeah. what Bleeds Inc. said. I got a southern friend that's, I'm, like I'm hearing bathed, or compliments bathed in um, passive aggressiveness. You gotta be really, I mean, we can joke about that and because it's, we all know what that feels like, but that stuff is really hurtful, but more, more dangerous than being hurtful, it's crazy making. 
It's what we call in mental health gaslighting from the old Bergman filled gaslight where it's like, I think, you know, Angela Lansbury is like 21 in this film. It's like an old <laughs> black and white film where- This is in black and white. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Ode to gaslighting, yeah. Um, but it's an interesting story where a millionaire woman marries this really creepy guy and he's in cahoots with the chambermaid who every now and then they'll be walking down the stairs or through the hall and the chambermaid will dim the lights, the gaslights. And the woman will be like, what's going on? And then the creepy husband will say, I don't see anything. And they do that over the course. We use that term in domestic violence work a lot. Like, so passive aggressive can be gaslighting. It can be crazy making over time because your normal response to it is, wow, what? Yeah. And then Chase looks back at me and goes, nothing. I'm just saying that that was really an interesting choice. I'm like, but that really hurts my, wow, Brene, I didn't know you were so sensitive. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. And then there we are. Then we're in the fist to cuffs position, <laughs> uh, which I'm not recommending. Sure. But um, so here's the thing. If, that, if that's the communication style of someone continuously, they can't be on your little piece of paper. <laughs> they, they, really, right. they, they can't be on your little piece of paper. And if it's someone you love and care about, it's worth a conversation with them during a non-heated moment. If it's not someone you love and care about, snip. I mean, it's a filter that it just, it's a you know, great and it, filter. it's a great filter. It's like one of the things like, I'm going to have a t-shirt made. We should, we just sell it and give it to the, the, the proceeds to charity. We can make a billion dollars. Let's do it. That says, if you bless my heart, I will kick your ass. <laughs> We're doing that. Yeah. Because what happens in Texas is people will say, well, Oh, bless your heart. Yeah, she'll say, Oh, did you bring the black beans? They're, they're interesting, bless your heart. <laughs> like one of the worst shame and guilt stories I have was from a woman. I had been out of town and Charlie was still like, he, he was less than a year and I'd been out of town for a few days. And she confronted me at school. I said, well, she, she said she was talking to me, but she said, um, who takes care of those kids while you're away? And I said, oh, my husband and, you know, my mom came in town. She said, oh, bless your heart. It's got to be so hard letting someone raise those kids for you while you're out working. <laughs> Ta-da-da. Ta -da. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And so... There is that, like, to me... To and, grab the black beans and, like, oh... Yeah, yeah right. I mean, that. it's like, unless you're, like, Barbara Jordan, she can bless my heart. <laughs> but it is that Southern... Wow, she, she's wearing those white jeans, and she just, <laughs> she just had that baby. Bless her heart. <laughs> I hope you never say that about me. Bless your heart. No, I don't say it at all. I like, the, I like that T-shirt idea. I think we should do something there. Let me work on that one. Someone's taking notes somewhere. Yeah, so I think, here's the thing. If it's worth your relationship, you got to sit down and say, and you got to be really careful in these conversations because they fall into the shame trap. You got to say, I shared this with you when your response was this. It felt really loaded to me. It felt like, here are the words you were saying, but here's what the emotion behind the words felt like for me. But if those people are chronically like that, it's very easy for them to come back and say, whoa, mm -hmm. you're super sensitive around that. And then you just go into the crazy train. Um, so 
say, like, uh, like care enough to confront that person if I'm going to give advice to this the caller? Yeah. Today. It's just you got to care to confront in a meaningful... And not confront. You have to have a t conversation during a non-emotionally fueled time. Like, hey, can we talk about something? Here's, you know, it's hard for me to hear what you're saying because how you're saying it is screaming. Wow. I think the same thing could be said for the creatives as well. The, the, the people are not on your list. So where is this person on that person's list in your That's world? That's the first question. Yeah. If these people are on your list, then, then you have a responsibility to talk with them about it in a way that you can talk with a few other people. If they're not on the list, then you're, as you did that motion, right? Well, you just have, then you have to, I mean, this where is kind of hardcore. Yeah, you, hardcore. You just have to figure out where, I mean, to me, I use that as a filter. But if it's someone I love or care about, um, I would, I, I mean, if it was somebody I really loved, I'd go to counseling with that person, even if it was a friend. I would say, would you mind sitting down with a coach or somebody with me for an hour? I, we're, not, we're communicating in a way that I'm finding is really hurtful for me, and it'd be very helpful if we could sit down with someone and figure out how I'm listening or how, wh what's going on where we're not sinking. Powerful. Yeah, but I really also think it needs to be that passive aggressiveness is... Toxic. It is. It's totally toxic. I'm going to ask a question. So the, the way I have thought about this in the past, and this is, I'm putting myself out there a little yeah. bit, is if there's a, let's say, one, whether it's a, a hundred people or a thousand people or a million people that are paying attention to your work as an artist, maybe in the social sphere or when you're sharing something, you put, create a movie or a book or a photo show or anything. And that if, if, all of the commentary is just generally positive, and I, I personally, like, there's something wrong. I want to be able to make work that is meaningful to me, that I, I try and look in here instead of out there. And in the process, I've found that that creates haters. There's, there can be, if there's a million people, there can be 990,000 people that love what you did. And even if there's a 1% jerk factor, which we all know there's probably a lot higher than that, but a 1% jerk factor is, you know, that means there's 10,000 people that hate you and they want to kill, your, kill you. They, yeah. They hate your guts. Yeah. It, is that a fair, like that's, I'm saying, if I don't read these negative things, yes, it hurts, but it means that I'm doing good work and those people who don't like what I do, what I say, how I am in the world, yes, they're not on my list, yes, they don't matter, but it's still, you read the comments and then I try and go to the man in the arena quote. Like, actually, since you're not in the public eye, like, if it's a peer that's saying that, I'm like, I call him up and say, man, thank you, what's going on? How am I, how am I doing? How, how, as, this has been, this has been learned, and I used to read all the YouTube comments, which now I can't even read them, <laughs> because, not because they're bad, because I don't know what they say. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what O M F M O F F M G means anymore. I'm yeah. Sorry. <laughs> There's two and, and 40, what are the exclamation points yeah. on something? So, how am I doing? And is that a fair mechanism? Am I not putting too much, too many walls up? Or, and I'm trying to also talk about this to create a little bit of a paradigm, like to give people some actual tools to go out in the world and make great art and put it out there. And when they read shitty things on YouTube, it doesn't get them down. So can we create a little framework? Is my framework good? If there's enough people that are watching and someone's going to say something bad, they're not in the arena, don't give them credit. If there's someone you recognize, then you want to have a conversation with them. And if there's someone you don't, then keep making stuff because there are people. For every person who's talked shit, there are probably 99 people who love it. 
I, I, you know, I, I, that, I, that's actually the framework I use for my work. Um, it, it, no, it really is exactly the framework I use for my work. But what I want to say that is hard for me is I'm a pretty stubborn, tenacious person. And I've got a, I can get a lot of fight energy. Like, I can really, like, ooh. There are people who this framework would not work for. Okay. That, and maybe it didn't work for me at different kind of times in my life. I think I would hate to lose all the art of the people who would be devastated by one or two bad comments. And there are people who can't get out from underneath one or two comments. Yeah. I mean, and what I would say is vet your stuff. Have a friend, have your partner. Before I had people working for me, yeah. my husband would read every comment and say, you should, you, know, he, you should read these and you shouldn't read these. I don't, now I have someone who works for me who vets everything. I don't, it's as hard for me to read like, I don't read a lot of the, oh, my God, it's great, or your TED Talk did this for me, or, and I don't, you know, rot in hell and die. Um, I just want what's constructive that will make the work better. And so that's really the, the majority of what I read. Um, but have someone vet them. You know, for someone to say, like, from the comments for me, you know, after the TED Talk that really were devastating for me were really personal. They were very much like... Um, Less research, more Botox. Of course, you embrace imperfection. What choice would you have if you had to look at yourself every morning and you were you? Um, lose 10 pounds before you talk about worthiness. They were super personal, super hurtful, and super shaming because for, for women, the number one shame trigger is appearance. So what do people go after that want to hurt you? They got, yeah, oh, and the other ones were, I feel sorry for your children. Um, and so, I got out from underneath those because there was a momentum with the TED Talk that I could not, I couldn't stop it. Yeah. It was bigger than me. For the ride. Had I been able to control how much of myself I was putting out when those started coming in, my career would have ended there. Wow, that's fascinating. And so I guess what I want to say to people is some of the best creatives I know are very tender people who may or may not have the momentum of you know a viral TED talk to keep them pushed out and may after reading something that I mean everyone sitting in here everyone watching can think of two or three things that are so shaming for them that it, they felt like if they heard other people saying those about them they would die people are going to say those things and the more genuine and authentic your work is the more people are going to know you and the more people are going to know what they can say to bring to hurt you some people will not survive that so what I would say is the framework you discussed, the one I use now, works, I think, if you've got some momentum and some success behind you. Yeah. If you're new and you're putting your stuff out, vet your comments. That's brilliant. Don't read them. Do not read them. They're, you know, it's, that, it's like, I hate to go back to a cliche you know, from 12-step rooms, but what people think of you is none of your business. You know, like, it's like that thing. It's like, don't worry about it. And I think it's, because I think if, it's almost, I don't have a choice now in some ways. I mean, I could shut it all down and go sure. home, but, and I also have enough success as people define it 
to be able to wind at your back. I got some wind at my back right now, but like I can tell you, like I'm getting ready to go off the grid to write, and I am feeling horrendous pressure right now. I can imagine. Like this is going to be the sophomore album no one listens to. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, oh my god. Um, Can we? Can we? Like, I think that was a beautiful little bow that you put on that. Um, At Loader Milk L wanted to know how do you heal afterwards. I think that's a pretty good one. After you get beat up, what's a good? Do you have a little nugget for healing? Not just for creatives, but for anyone in the world. When you you read one of those comments you shouldn't have read, or someone kicked you while you're down. I'm a big believer in therapy. I gotta just tell you that like, I will never continue doing my work and not be in therapy, like because I need someone you know to bounce stuff off of, to talk about it. And, and I'm, I'm like a crazy therapist. Like, like the therapist I write about in The Gifts of Imperfection, Diana, reti- I was her last client. She, <laughs> she retired. Um, That's awesome. But what I, what I would go in is I would go in and I'd be like, oh, those people and I hate everybody. And I'm quitting. This is bullshit. And you know, I would just, and she would just like, she, you know, a good therapist or good coach is a space holder. If someone just holds space for you to figure out what, because you know what you, I know what I need more than anyone else. I know what's going on more than anyone else. And so to me, having an objective person who has the skill set when you're putting your stuff out there for the first time, I think is huge. If you're not a seeker of therapy or coaching or something, um, I would say to get, that's why creative circles, tribes are the bomb. Yeah. And I'm not saying the bomb. They're like the bomb, the B-A-L-M, the bomb. Yeah. I I like bomb. (laughs) The creative community is like, they have been so helpful for me. Especially in that phase of your career when you don't know anybody. Like, you can have a way to bounce ideas off people and there's a little safety and a little... But bomb, let's go with bomb, B-A-L-M. Yeah, well, they're they're the bomb to the wound. Like, they are the, we're going to be there for each other. We're bringing our work back. We're going to do open conversation, we're gonna meet every two weeks and talk about the hardest thing we heard, the best thing we heard, why we wanna quit, why we'll never quit. Those vulnerable, honest conversations. Yeah. Um, the, the, the most dangerous thing you can do is assume that any of us who you think have achieved something, you, me, a lot of people, have done it at all alone. That's, there's. Yeah, there's a, there's, like I don't a, know one thing that was done alone. I have no, I've done nothing alone. It's the biggest myth that people, people make up these great stories about who I am and how, what I, you know, what I, my work looks like and what my family looks like. But I, um, I've done nothing alone. Absolutely. Beautiful summary. The, you, you went to a cool place, which was that place that you're going to take a, a little time off. But it's not time off from working. It's time away from all the noise. I am. Tell us about that. I'm fascinated. Uh, uh, Steven Stefan, Sagmeister, uh, is a designer I respect and admire. He works seven years and then takes an entire year off to think about work, process, write books, do projects that are self-driven instead of, uh, instead of client-driven. You're talking about checking out here, and it's like, we got you days before you're checking out. April 14th. Tell us about it. Um, which I just picked that day, then I realized it was Passover. And then my next door neighbors are both rabbis, so we're going to go to Passover, and that's going to be like... The Passover Seder is going to be your... My Passover Seder is going to be my, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I don't want you to go away. We just became friends. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm scared. Like, I, it's, I, well, one thing people don't know about me is I'm extremely intensely introverted. Wow. Yeah, and so, um, so I can do this, but if this turned into a cocktail party, you would never be able to find me. <laughs> like, I've got my purse right here. I just, whoosh, um, like, I don't do, or like when people, it's hard too, because people call and say, we want you to speak at this event, and the night before there's, you know, there's a thing, there's a for, thing. Yeah. like, I don't do things. And I always did things and cried when I got back to the hotel room. I really did, I cry all the time. Um, and then, I can't believe Halifax. Who knows the Buddhist teacher? Joan Halifax. Joan Halifax. I did an event with her at the Omega Center. She is like, whoa. She's like sitting next to God. I was like, <laughs> wow. Because um, they, like, they were getting my makeup ready. She's like, I don't wear makeup. They were like, yes ma'am. With me, they're like, you know, um, then they, they said, we've got a reception, and then you're going to speak. She goes, I don't do receptions. They're like, okay. I was like, walking around the reception, going, uh, 10, 9, 8, counting down. Well, I had to be there for 30 minutes. Um, but she said, what I do is enough. Wow. Mm-hmm. What I do is enough. I contribute. You hear that, Internet? Yeah. What you do is like, enough. What I do in, is enough. And I'm going to give myself permission to both inhale and exhale. And so I'm not good at that. So I'm an introvert, so I can't be creative and write when I'm... Putting all your energy into it. Yeah, when I'm not alone. Like, I'm really, like, I'm happiest with my family. Professionally, I'm happiest alone with my data. Um, which sounds weird, but (laughs) me and my data get it on. It's just that, just the two of us. Um, and, and I'm scared because I know how lucky I am about my work. And I, and so my scarcity gremlins come up, like maybe there'll be nothing left when I come back, or maybe I will have squandered all this great opportunity saying no, 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 no. So like right now I turned down they give me a printout of the metrics on Excel. I turned down 97% of the speaking requests that I get. Because I have young kids, and like, I just I have a life that I love at home. Um, and so, but then I'm like, what if I'm turning down everything? And I'm even going to do an email something. I don't know what it's going to say yet, but it's going to say something like, I might do take, take a page from Dan Pink. Oh, Dan yeah. Pink is always I like, Daniel Pink. I'm in the salt mines writing right now. <laughs> Take care of it yourself. Or I don't know what he puts. I don't know what he. I don't, some, I don't, he doesn't some do that. Gangster shit. Though, he does some sure. gangster like, throwdown, thought leader, <laughs> badass stuff. I'm mean, gonna do something like that in my own voice. But um, but yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared because I'm scared of like, yeah. Will we be here for her when she gets back? <laughs> I think so. You know that problem, it's like the age-old problem of I learned something and it's in my head, but I can't, I don't, I can't figure out how to live it, like how to incorporate it into my life, like I understand it. I think creativity is the key of how things travel from the head to the heart to the hands. Creativity is the way that's, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's cheer for that one. That was a pretty yeah, good one. Yeah, no, I think. Yeah. Creativity is the way things travel from the head to the heart to yeah. the hand. So let me give you an example. So like the first guidepost we're doing, because we're doing guideposts 6 through 10, um, 
And so the first guidepost is cultivating creativity and letting go of comparison. I think this might be a worthwhile course. Something tells me. Well, <laughs> Can I, it's register, register for me for this thing, please. No, it changed me because one of the things I didn't want to do with the gifts is I wanted to say, you know, fast catch up. Two groups of people in my research, men and women who have a deep sense of love and belonging and people who really struggle for it. The only difference between the people who had a deep sense of love and belonging and the people who struggle for it is the people who have it believe they're worthy of it. That's the only difference. That's it. This pissed me off. Because <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? That they're, okay, so like, is it a moment in time where I'm like, I am worthy of it? Like, na, na, na. <laughs> but as it turns out, there are specific behaviors these people engage in. So one of the things that they, so these are the 10 guideposts, and one of them was every single person who I interviewed, you'll love this, um, who I would consider wholehearted, men and women living and loving with their whole lives, every single one of them engaged in some kind of creative endeavor. That's awesome. So I thought going into this research that creativity, like I was one of those people, like I'm not really creative. Um, now you know better. Well, now I know that there's no such thing. There's absolutely no such thing. There's just people who use their creativity and people who don't, and, the, and, and that does not go without penalty. As it turns out, unused creativity is not benign. It's dangerous. It metastasizes. Unused creativity is dangerous. Yes, it turns into grief and poison. judgment and rage. It poison. And I was a person, like, I completely remember a really good friend of mine said, hey, do you want to take a scrapbooking class? Which I love photographs, and I take pictures, and I love memory making. And I was like, that's cute. You go do your ART, I got a J-O-B. <laughs> like, I totally made fun That's of called shaming, by the way. I <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> I said. I shamed. I'm gonna wait till we're not in this public place and I'll have a conversation with you. <laughs> if anyone here is a coach and would like to stay to moderate that, yeah. Uh, no, I, I shamed her. Mm. So look, my, un I mean, you're the first, I've told the story 10 times in my life, maybe. Not very many. You're the first person who's ever named that. I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading. Daring Greatly by Renee Brown. But look what just happened. Look at me. I shamed somebody for asking me to go do something artful with them. Unused creativity is dangerous. It changes into things. Super powerful. Right. So now, so, so, one, so this is an example, I'll give it away. But so one of the things we're doing in the art e-course is we're taking each of these guideposts and we are doing art exercises around them. So one of the things we have to do is we have to um, use crayons to do a self-portrait of ourselves in our journal. Guess what? What? We have yours queued up. No. Yes, we do. Let's bring up Brene's. <laughs> yeah. I like the necklace. Thank the necklace you. Is real nice. Yeah, I always wear lots of necklaces. Um, you know, and it's really funny because there is nothing that will bring grown people to their tears like a box of crayons. Like when I take leaders sometimes through a day-long daring way leadership thing, we have crayons, and people will walk in and immediately they're like, you're like, 
like they have such a reaction, like just even the smell of them is, and why? And this leads to our next exercise. So one of the exercises we're doing is we're talking about art wounds. 80, look, follow me on this. Okay. You ready? I'm good. 85% of the men and women I've interviewed over 13 years remember something so shaming that happened in school that it changed how they thought of themselves as learners. Wow. Wait, it gets worse. 50% of those wounds were around art and creativity. That is what is wrong with our culture. That is what's wrong with our culture. Wow. We gotta fix that shit. It, I mean, how many of you, I mean, honestly, how many of you remember something so shaming that happened in school that it changed how you thought of yourself about something? That's I the mean, show of hands right there. Right. I think that's pretty much everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. And so, so what we're doing is we're writing down all of the messages on our, 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 our little journals that we have for the class, which you can get anywhere, um, and then we're covering them with Band-Aids and writing the truth on the, on the outside on the Band-Aids. Can I tell a little vulnerable yeah, story? please. My mom's in the audience right there. Do you remember that, that clay pot that I made in ceramics as a, as a sophomore? Which one? The one that was so bad it was laughable. And yeah, this, there was this bunch of slugs crawling around in the tray. It was so bad. And I remember knowing it wasn't good, but putting it out there, and it got totally torn to pieces. I was the captain of the football team, and I had it going on, and I put that out there. This is in an art context, for example, and it was, it was, it was not good, but I was putting it out there, and I, like, that is a scar for me, for sure. I had to work through that. I mean, yeah, it, may, it really makes me want to cry because I've got a daughter, you know, who's a freshman in high school and who went in to middle school thinking, I'm going to be an artist. And then the only people who got to go into advanced art were people who could do still lifes. You know, and, and they're like, you're not really, you're, you're not destined for a career in creativity, is what That's they told crazy. her. She's 12. You know, and now she's at a school where she's in art and she loves it and she's back. And, but we had to heal that. That shit happens every day. Stop grading art in school. When I, uh, you know? I, yeah, stop grading art in school. Come on. Come on. Yeah, we both have our, our, you have your Oprah thing. I have Creative Live trying yeah. to make the world a more creative place. Um, I gave a keynote at a mutual friend of ours, Chris Gillibo, yeah. um, called the World Domination Summit, which if you don't know it, it's an amazing conference. Chris is a great guy. It's fun. I got to keynote that last year, and part of my talk was about basically that same, the way that schools systematically grind out creativity, and part of Creative Lives' mission is completely reinventing that, and, and that schools that are doing that are not actually serving our public interest. And I surveyed a bunch of people in the front 10 rows, it was a 3,000 person auditorium. What was the age where you first started, or actually the age that you have really fond memories of making something? And it was eight, six, four, 10, 11, nine, six, eight. And we're talking a hall of incredibly creative, accomplished people. And the last time they remember making something that was fun, that didn't have a lot of drama around it, they were almost all single digit age groups. And I've done this with audiences all over the world now. And it's consistent. It's powerful. That's so terrible. Where is the scars the, come? Yeah, it should be. I made this yesterday. Right. As opposed, to, you know, that that should be the thing that's there. That anyway. No, I mean, it, we can just we can't talk about it enough. It's like that's a hugely powerful. Like I write in the gifts of imperfection, fifth grade. Last time I remember really doing something. Now 
my data. That's why I love having fun with my data because we get our creativity on. But yeah. you know, but it's a real serious issue because it's not how that changes, how how that when you said that's what's wrong with culture today, you weren't kidding because how that translates itself is in Washington D.C. in boardrooms where people are making huge decisions that affect all of our lives, but are afraid to put themselves out there in a creative innovative way because of that thing they turned in in third grade. That, that stuff does not go away. That informs who we are unless we deal with it. Absolutely. And let's not talk, like creativity is this thing. Art is but a subset of right. creativity. So painting, drawing, making music, all that stuff that is classically all creativity. But creativity is this whole sphere. It's innovation. It's E equals MC squared. You think of it as very scientific. That is that is totally. theoretical science and creativity coming together. The invention of the wheel. That's mechanical engineering plus creativity equals the wheel. So creativity literally is the thing that will solve all of human problems from here forward. Creativity no is the fundamental building block. So if we're stamping out, yeah, you think about that. Someone's going like in the third row right there. <laughs> you think about that, think about it that way and we're systematically stamping that out in third, fourth, fifth grade, that is having a huge deleterious effect on our culture. So I hope that you folks will go out there in the world and do justice to bringing creativity to a new elevation. The way I talk about it is creativity is the new literacy. And in the same way that that the, the invention of the printing press went from the dark ages literally to the period of enlightenment through prioritizing literacy and, and what it meant for humanity, the same can be true for creativity. If we go from a period which has been the dark ages and we empower the world to be creative, that what is possible? Because we're still, I mean, we're on the cusp of it, the, the democratization of creativity, yeah. tools that were very expensive are now very cheap. We don't require, there's no gatekeepers, we can share our work at scale. This, the time is upon us. So let's, let's put that forward as an agenda. And that's my personal goal. I'm not, sorry, Soapbox, and this is your show. Um, no, I mean, I'm with you 100%. All right, take that. No, so wait, I want to stop because it's so important what you're saying. So if creativity is the new literacy, and it's how we're going to solve every problem in front, in front of us from, you know, malaria to poverty, every violence, there is no creativity without vulnerability. There is no creativity without that process of, this is awesome, I'm gonna do this, I'm so excited. Oh my God, this sucks. Oh my God, who do I think I am? This is shit, oh, this is not so, okay. That's part of the creative process. For sure. Which is vulnerable, right? Can we be a one-two punch? Oh my God, yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the questions are still pouring in. Uh, Kristen Crawford via Facebook says, how do you balance being vulnerable with maintaining boundaries? What's your, what's your shortest answer for that one? Because that's a doozy, but we only got like nine minutes left. We so. share with people who've earned the right to hear our story. Pa-pow! Take that. He's got all kinds of, I want some karate moves. I love it. Let's go to the in-studio audience. Anybody got some questions for Brene? We got a hand up here. We need a microphone. Yes, good sir. Stand up. Tell us who you are and feel free to ask Brene any question you'd like. I'm Jim Henderson. Uh, you made a couple comments about uh, your faith uh, shaping how you're thinking, and you mentioned a couple rabbis, and you said you're leaving us on the 14th, so I thought we'd better get these questions in, because there's two rabbis that I think of. One is named Edwin Friedman, and he, I see resonance in the things you're saying with him, and the other is Jesus. I'd like to know how those two rabbis influence your thinking, how it shapes what you're doing now. That's a hard question. Um, <laughs> Well, I don't know the first rabbi. I, I, I'm a member of the Episcopal Church. Um, so 
I don't, how does Jesus shape? Um, He's got your back, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what, I'll, I'll talk about how I see Jesus and how I see a lot of the other, I think, spiritual leaders that I look to. Um, I am a proponent of a gritty, dangerous, wild-eyed kind of love. Um, a, I don't want to live in a don't ask, don't tell world. I want to live in a show up and be loved world. Um, and so the people who inform, I think, me spiritually and kind of call on me to be courageous are people who say, that kind of wild, gritty love that I think is important is not easy. It's not popular. People are, you're going to piss people off, um, but you do it anyway. <laughs> and so that's kind of how, I guess, spiritual teaching informs me. I love it. Next yeah. question, anything else? Uh, you want to go ahead. We've got to keep moving because I know these people have come from far and wide to speak with you, and I wanted to be able to give that an opportunity. Say who you are and what's your question. Hi, my name is Stacy. Hi, Stacy. And I had all these what were probably appropriate questions, and I just decided to give that up. So last week, <clears throat> I'm out there trying to do very bold work. Yeah. I admire you for that, of bringing emotion and things into the workplace. And last week, I had a call where I felt completely shut down by somebody for my own capability, my own experience. So I, w I guess I wonder, you were sort of thrust into the spotlight. And how do you keep confidence and courage in what you know to be true about yourself and what you know you're capable of when you're pretty consistently denied that. I mean, you've got the wind at your, in, at your back right now, but for many of us, we're still striving to you know, get a little wind up. How do you handle those moments? It felt, I got angry for the first time, which was great, um, but I wonder how you handle those moments where people don't respect what you're able to bring. Because it was a very vulnerable moment for me. I, I think this is also the benefit of having some success behind me. I don't need everybody to respect it anymore or need it or sign on to it anymore. Um, I, go back, I, I go back to my list a lot, but I think one of the things that I used to do a lot is I, I used to hustle a lot and wrap my words around language that would make people more comfortable and more, make it more palatable for people in the beginning. And I just don't do that anymore. I think there's a lot of people who are on similar paths and if they can't hear what I'm saying, maybe they can hear what someone else is saying. And so from now on, I used to fight. When people would call, like for a conference, I'd have a conference call before a big event and I'd be go talking to bankers. And they're like, well, you know, why should we have you? And what relevance does this have for us? I'm like, you know, and I used to say, well, I can do this and this and this. And I'm like, look, you called me. <laughs> you called me and I'm not hustling here for my worthiness with you. Here's what I do. Here's what I'm going to talk about if I'm going to be there. And this is either a good fit or not. I think my new thing is if it's not a good fit, then I don't want to be there anymore. And I'm not going to try to win over. It's, it's Scott Stratton. It's quote, yeah. don't win over the haters. You're not the jackass whisperer. 
Um, you know, like, I just don't try anymore because there's enough people who want to have the conversation that I can't, I can't spend my energy, emotional strength in those areas as much anymore. And there's great plenty advice. of them. Yeah, great advice. I'll tack on for the photographers out there, people that are trying to make their living through making stuff. Um, you actually don't need a million people to like your work. You need a very small subset. As an example, if I get 18 jobs a year, it's a banner year. It's great. And I've just set up the economics that way. You don't have to. But you certainly don't need 10 million. You might need 1,000. You might need 100 people to like your work. So trying to convince everyone to like your work is a, is a game that you cannot possibly Oh, win. my God. That's so powerful. Say that again. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even remember. No, I don't say remember. it again. I don't it's so... It's so true. You don't need a million people to like your work. You don't need a thousand. You don't even probably need a hundred. You're making your work for you, and there are people in the world who will love you and your work for what it is right now. God, that's so true. I, I think we recorded it. <laughs> we got to wind down. I will take one more question, if it can take 20 seconds or less, because i got to get her out of here and on to her next thing. Sorry. Robert Richardelli, uh, there's a book Carol Dweck put out on mindset. Love it. And uh, growth mindset versus fixed. I don't think you can have a growth mindset unless you're vulnerable. And I'd like to no. speak to that. No, okay, so I love Carol Dweck. Um, I love her book, Mindset. Um, I think she and I do similar work. She comes at it cognitively from how we think. I come at it from how we feel um, and behave. But that whole idea of, of you know, it's that test where they gave, they gave a bunch of kids a test. And half the kids, they said, oh my God, you got this great grade, you got an A, you, you're wonderful. The other group, they said, you worked so hard on it. Congratulations, your effort was amazing. They praised effort over achievement. Then they said, we've got an even harder test. Who wants to take the next test? Only the kids praised for effort, not achievement, were willing to even try more. Because these kids had so much to lose, so that's like that growth mindset that we just keep growing instead of, I failed, it's like staying open, and it totally requires vulnerability. So mindset has been an important work, book in my family life and my work, my parenting, so absolutely. Thank you for helping this show grow. Thank you I for having me. I appreciate it. I wanna wrap up here. I wanna say huge thanks to the people that have been shouting out tweets and Facebook posts with all the quotes. Ladies and gentlemen, this book here, made by this amazing human, Brene Brown. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. 
I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.